You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguda, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network, currently sponsored by our good friends over at Pro Prep. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition, we're going to be reviewing the weekend's Premier League action. Well, the games that took place anyway. We're going to be touching on Arsenal's fourth place position at present. What does it mean? What does it look like in the grander scheme of things? Because I think a lot of people, without sounding really pessimistic, are getting carried away by Arsenal's current league position and are not taking into account the the complete situation. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about Manchester City, who are continuing to perform brilliantly and on that incredible run that we all thought they might kick into at some point or another during the season. We're going to talk a little bit about Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel uh, not happy with the fact that his club's request to have their game at Wolves postponed was denied. We're also going to be reflecting on that game between Spurs and Liverpool. Plenty of controversy. We'll be running through all the decisions. I'll be giving you my thoughts, but I'll also be giving you my thoughts on what I've seen from Tottenham under Antonio Conte. So, lots and lots to get into. As always, we'll be taking your questions from the live chat box as well. So, please do not hold back. Feel free to get involved. Hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. You might be sensing in my voice uh, that I sound a little bit under the weather. Again, this is what happens when you have a two-year-old, nearly three-year-old, who goes to nursery, picks up colds pretty much every other week brings them home to you. And yeah, this is the result. You suffer. Uh, So I am a little bit under the weather, which is why my voice is a little bit croaky. If you see me reaching uh, for a tissue to blow my nose mid-podcast, I do apologise, but needs must. Don't worry. It's not anything more than that. I have been testing because I, like a lot of people right now, am concerned about Christmas. I don't want to take anything home uh, to the family on Christmas. So uh, I am being very, very careful. Don't worry. It is just a cold. I can promise you that. I've had all the tests. Right. Uh, let's uh, smash through this then. Let's um, kick off by talking about Arsenal's league position at the moment. Now, Arsenal, of course, currently sit in fourth place. And as I mentioned to you guys in the post Leeds show, Arsenal will be in fourth at Christmas for the first time in five seasons. Uh, We currently sit six points behind Chelsea. We've got the same amount of games played as them. Uh, So to think that a few weeks ago, Chelsea were a lot of people's title favourites and, you know, just a couple of months ago, Arsenal were were being talked about as a disgrace. To be six points, you know, a drift of them is a really, really decent position to be in. West Ham United, of course, are in fifth. And if they win their game in hand, they close that gap between ourselves and them from four points to one point. Manchester United, they've got two games in hand, so they can overtake us in theory if they win those two games. That will put them onto 30, 33 points, so they'll be um, a point ahead of us. And also Tottenham, who have three games in hand, well, if they win those, if they win one, they go on to 29, 32, 35. They could potentially be three points ahead of us. So, look, at this moment in time, the position looks great. 
And being in fourth is, as I keep saying, the absolute maximum I think you can expect from this Arsenal side. But the reason I'm saying don't get carried away and the reason I'm saying we shouldn't be going overboard about how the objective has shifted from finishing in the top six to now finishing in the top four is because of the disparity in games played between ourselves and some of the teams in and around us. Now, a lot of people would argue, and rightly so, that you'd rather have points on the board than games in hand because points on the board are concrete, right? Points on the board are there. Games in hand, you still have to go out there and win them. And of course, these sides are now going to have a more condensed um, uh, fixture schedule, which isn't going to be helpful. But the point I'm trying to make here is that if those teams win their games in hand, then all of a sudden we don't look in such a strong position. We're still in the race. We're still in contention, which is, I think, all you could have hoped for at this point in the season. But be aware that if those games in hand are won, then the table looks slightly different. So I'm not saying don't be happy about what we've seen from Arsenal on the pitch because it is much improved. There's a lot to take encouragement from. The youngsters are really thriving. The attacking play uh, seems to have finally clicked. There's so much to be positive about with this Arsenal side. But all I'm saying is just be wary when adjusting your ambition or your objective or your goal from finishing in the top six, which would have been the remit at the start of the campaign, to now changing that to finishing in the top four. Because it's possible we're in the run, we're in the race, and that's great, but it's by no means a foregone conclusion. And I think what a lot of people are doing is saying, well, Arsenal fourth, we must be going great, we must be going well. People outside of the club as well, you know, non-Arsenal fans have gone, well, Arsenal definitely uh, look as though they can finish in the top four because they're fourth, failing to acknowledge and understand that the league table is a bit of a mess right now. And this is why... I've had a big problem with the way the Premier League have handled this COVID situation. Now, I understand that for for many and, and still, despite this happening last time out, it's an unprecedented situation. I get all of that. But what you can't do is postpone games for some and allow others to play because it creates that disparity that I'm talking about. And that disparity could play a massive part in where teams end up. You know, take, for example, and I used this example the other day. If you're Tottenham, if you're Newcastle, you're fighting for relegation and you've played less games than the teams in and around you. Let's have a look at Newcastle as an example, right? Uh, scrap Newcastle. They've played 18 games. But all right, you're Burnley, you're Norwich, you're Watford. You guys have played less games. What you can now do is go in the January transfer window and bring in players who strengthen you. And you now play a larger proportion of your games post the transfer window, which I think is unfair. I think it's the only fair way of doing it is that when the transfer window comes, everybody has to have played the same amount of games. Because you can now go out and strengthen your side and gain an advantage by having that stronger side for more games. So I don't really like the way this is all panning out. It's the same with Tottenham. Antonio Conte clearly, and we'll come on to talk about that game in a minute, has done some good work at Spurs and they look a, a decent unit. But now he's going to get the January transfer window to go out there and bring in players of his own, players that he feels fit into what he's trying to do. And all of a sudden, they've got three games in hand with a better side, with a better side than they would have had had they played those games prior. So, there is a problem and it is affecting the integrity of the competition. So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how the Premier League are going to choose to tackle this. There is a meeting going on 
uh, involving the Premier League right now at the time of recording, at the time we're live. So we will bring you an update and some reaction to what was decided uh, a little bit later on, on on the next podcast, if it's all publicised by that point. But at this moment in time, I feel like we're in a place where we need to either stop it for everybody um, or or just continue it for everybody and push through. And I know that, you know, with some clubs, the, the cases are worse than others. Like for Arsenal, for example, it's not been that bad. Yes, there are members of staff that have got it. Uh, Sambi Laconga, Pablo Marie, we know has it as well. We know that there were members of staff that picked it up. And I was, and, and this is my kind of conspiracy head on. But the other day I was just thinking, Perhaps part of the reason we've got some of these COVID cases, I don't want to, I'm not saying it is, and I'm not throwing blame at him, but do you think that the fact that we do have COVID cases has contributed to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's punishment being so severe if he did indeed return late without taking the correct tests and stuff? Do you think that that's led Arsenal to see it as a more severe incident? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's weird, you know, it's... Um, it's a difficult situation to be in. And look, I acknowledge and I accept, I don't think, although the scientists will tell you that they saw it coming, I don't think we saw this coming again. I think we all felt that we'd kind of come out the other side of this pandemic. We were in a place where people were still contracting the virus and, you know, that that there was an impact. But we thought that we were in a place where we could manage it better now and that we wouldn't be taking steps backwards. But it seems as though we have. And as I say, unprecedented situation. I don't really blame the Premier League for the disparity in the fixtures now. As I say, Tottenham three games in hand on us. West Ham one, Manchester United two. That's not ideal, but it couldn't really be avoided. So I'm okay with that. But if as the Premier League now, with all the evidence that you've got to hand and, and the number of cases that you're seeing arise within Premier League football clubs on a daily basis, if you do not take action to preserve the integrity of the competition, then I think you're making a horrible mistake. I really, really do. So I think it's got to be either all or nothing, as Amazon would say. You either postpone all the games for a period of time, give people to uh, uh, give people some time, to uh, get things sorted, get people back, clean up, deep clean, whatever they need to do in the training complexes, et cetera, et cetera. Or uh, you, you, you plow through. And, and I think it's got to be one or the other. So let's see. And what I mean by one or the other is no in-between measure, no half measure. It's either stop it for everybody or don't stop it for anybody. That's for me, what you've got to do now. So it'll be interesting to see what the Premier League decide. And as I say, for me, more importantly than anything else, more importantly than the uh, over-scheduling of fixtures, which is something we're just going to have to deal with. We can extend the season if we need to. There isn't a tournament in the summer. More important than that, we have to protect the integrity of this competition. And I'm worried that if we continue like this, then it will be damaged and we'll have a problem. And that, for me, once that's compromised, then what is the Premier League? So that's my take on that. Um, and and just to kind of round off on Arsenal as well, you know, as I say, we're in a great position. We're playing very good stuff at the moment. It's really, really enjoyable to watch. We've got the small matter of a cup quarterfinal to come on Tuesday evening as well. Um, so another thing to look forward to, we'll get a look at some different players you'd imagine. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's important to be positive and happy and, and excited by what we're seeing. But it's also important to not lose sight of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is clearly that the disparity in the fixture list is making the table for us 
look better than it actually is. So as long as you're aware of that, there's no reason why you can't enjoy the good performances, the good results. But I just don't want to hear the meltdowns on the other side when after a few weeks, we might find ourselves down in sixth. It would be because of that fixture disparity more likely than anything else. Anyway, let's take it on. Let's talk a little bit. Let's start off actually with that game between Spurs and Liverpool because that was an absolute cracker. Really, really enjoyable fixture to watch. Both sides were going through it. Antonio Conte um, clearly has made some changes at Spurs that are very evident and are very effective. Now, I'll be honest, prior to the game yesterday, I hadn't watched 90 minutes of Spurs under Antonio Conte. And I was sitting there watching the game and I was watching it um, with a Spurs fan. And I, I said before the game kicked off, I'm really intrigued to see what Antonio Conte has brought to the table. I'm a massive Antonio Conte fan. Well, I was prior to him joining Spurs. I'm a huge fan of Italian football and I've followed his career very, very closely. I was impressed by what he did at Chelsea. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful manager. But my reservation was always about him taking the Tottenham job was, would he be able to get what he needs to get out of the group without Daniel Levy's complete and total backing? And Daniel Levy in the past has proven that he will back you to a certain point, but never enough for Spurs to close the gap on the really elite and challenge for Premier League titles. So I was interested to see what changes he'd made. And it was obvious that he was going to change the formation. That was obvious even before he took the job, that if he did, he would change that right away. The use of the wingbacks is something that is just so Antonio Conte. Um, I think the, the, the decision or the desire or the wanting to play on the counter-attack is something that, again, is a characteristic of Antonio Conte when coming up against big sides. And I think he utilised... Uh, the likes of Harry Kane and Human Son, who we know are top quality players, despite what's gone on so far this season, in a really, really effective way. And I thought they gave Liverpool a really, really good game. Having said that, do they get a point out of it if the referee and the VAR uh, had had been competent? It's as simple as that, because that is as bad a game in isolation as I've seen, where the VAR and the referee's incompetence has dictated the outcome. And I thought we were past this. I thought that VAR last season started to work a lot better. And then we've come into this season and we've got all these new directives like allow the game to flow more. Allowing the game to flow more doesn't mean allowing challenges like Harry Kane's to go unpunished. You know, that was a baffling decision. Harry Kane should have certainly been sent off. Diego Jota should have certainly had a penalty. Andrew Robertson will have no complaints. His challenge was a horrible one. It was clear he was intending to take the player out and he was rightly given a red card. Harry Winks probably should have had a penalty down the other end for Spurs as well. So although, you know, the, the major decisions, it felt like the majority of them went against Liverpool. It, it, the fact that Winks didn't get that penalty and the fact that we're, uh, you know, we're talking about that now as well it just highlights that there isn't some big conspiracy going on. There isn't a uh, an agenda from Paul Tierney or Chris Kavanagh, the referee and, and VAR yesterday. It's pure incompetence. There is a, you know, you can give these guys all the replays in the world and they still get it wrong. That means they're not fit for the job. I mean, we all saw the Harry Kane challenge. At first glance, I said red card. When I saw the replay, and I think a really good point was made on match of the day, he looks, Harry Kane looks to his left as he's making the challenge, he doesn't, he's not even looking, he's not in control of what he's doing. It falls within the bracket of reckless play and endangering an opponent. And 
I, if I were a Liverpool fan, I'd be absolutely livid that that was allowed to go unpunished. Not to mention the penalty kick. That was a clear stonewall penalty. You can't just go into people. And Jurgen Klopp alluded to it after the game, didn't he? He said Paul Tierney's view on the, the Diogo Jota incident was that he'd stopped purposely to receive the contact. Now, we've seen players do that for years and years. Players, in, in a way, engineering the contact or putting themselves in the way of the contact, in the way of the defender, so as to win a penalty. That doesn't make it less of a penalty. If the defender doesn't touch him and clatter into him from behind, then it's not a foul and there's nothing to debate. So, you know, it's it's all in the defender's hands, clearly. Um, and I think that Emerson Royale, who, who it was who made that challenge, on Diego Jota was incredibly fortunate that it wasn't punished. So Liverpool, you know, really kind of unhappy, frustrated by the way everything went. And they'll be frustrated by the fact that they've now fallen three points behind a Manchester City side who are in formidable form. Manchester City side who have won 14 of their 18 games so far. They've won all of their last five in the Premier League. Liverpool, could ill afford to drop points. And that brings me on nicely to another team that couldn't afford to drop points, given the way things have gone in recent weeks. And that is Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. They've won just two of their last five in the Premier League. Back-to-back draws. They lost uh, a couple of weeks back uh, against West Ham United as well, of course, at the London Stadium. And all of a sudden, Thomas Tuchel's side, who were at the top of the table, now find themselves six points behind this Manchester City side who just don't look like dropping anything at this moment in time. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Chelsea very unhappy that their game was was made to go ahead. Thomas Tuchel was talking quite passionately about the situation before the game. He spoke about the fact that he's got so many players out off the back of this that we're not ever going to stop this situation if players are being forced to travel together, to play together, to train together, etc., etc. Um, so, yeah, he was uh, he was very, very unhappy that the game was going to go ahead. And I just remember thinking when I saw the full-time result on that one, Thomas Tuchel will be livid. Look, Wolves are a good side. You know, we'll find that out in a little bit. We're playing them if indeed that fixture goes ahead. Uh, I think it's on the 28th or 27th or 28th. Uh, so we've got, you know, 28th it is. Uh, so we've got, you know, Wolves to come and, and we've seen that they've been a pretty good side this season. They've looked very dangerous going forward, but also Bruno Large has managed to tighten them up a little bit defensively as well. I think Thomas Tuchel will have looked at that game and felt it was a difficult one anyway, let alone with the absences. That's why I feel like Chelsea tried to get it postponed. But this is where the problem is again. Like, I don't blame Chelsea for trying to get it postponed. I'd have done exactly the same thing. What I find um, really weird is that based on what we know, and and we can only go by based on what we know, there are teams that have had less COVID cases at that point who have had a game postponed. So why have the Premier League dug their heels in with Wolves, uh, with Chelsea and Wolves? It's it's it, That's why Chelsea feel aggrieved. It's why Thomas Tuchel's frustrated and I completely understand it. You know, he couldn't name a full substitutes bench yesterday. And th- this is where the Premier League in their meeting today need to discuss and clarify some guidelines. Some guidelines that are going to constitute whether or not a game should be postponed or played. And I think once that is detailed clearly, then people can have no complaints about it. But you've seen Chelsea... Um, you know, have to go there with a really depleted side, uh, squad at least. Um, and I know they have a better squad than most, so it, there'll be a lot of people out there that don't feel sympathy for them. 
I don't feel sympathy for them. All I'm saying is that the integrity of the competition is now being affected. I can see some of you saying, and Jean-René says it in the chat, I have no sympathy, to be honest, because we were forced to play as well. Yeah, we were forced to play in the opening weeks against Brentford, agreed. And that was probably wrong. And, And I think that, you know, I think that looking back on it, we can feel hard done by about that. I don't think we should have had our game cancelled on Saturday. We we had, uh, you know, barring Sambi Lakonga, nobody else absent would have been involved anyway. So I think for me, what you've got is a situation where we're looking back at that Brentford game and going, yeah, we were harshly treated there. We were hard done by it, and we lost the game, which leads you to feel naturally even more aggrieved about it. But ultimately, two wrongs don't make a right. And and that's that's my my thoughts on it. Uh, just before we move on, let me just jump back to uh, the the Liverpool Spurs game. Interesting that Miles, a Spurs fan who's with us now, uh, says Spurs fan here. We got lucky yesterday and didn't play well. Don't let the result fool you. So I didn't think Spurs were bad yesterday. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I thought they did okay. And somebody else asked me, which I'll try and dig out who it was. Uh, here it is. Uh, Cap says, should Ali have had a penalty too? No, not for me. That was a dive from Delhi Ali. Uh, and I'm not having anything otherwise, other than that. That was a, a clear dive for me. Look, there was contact from Alexander-Arnold and he clearly feels the contact and takes the opportunity to tumble. But I don't think there's enough in that to give a penalty there. Um, so, yeah. Right. Let's, uh, let's see what else. Let's talk a little bit about Manchester City, because as I mentioned, they're on an incredible run of form. And I tipped them at the start of the Premier League to win the, win the title. And I expect them to go on and do so. Um, they're just so relentless in attack, you know, and people have talked time and time again about the lack of a centre forward, how that was going to cost them, how Pep Guardiola's game is not working anymore. It's, it's completely to the contrary. They've got so many talented players. They've got so many brilliant um, sort of attacking midfielders that they almost don't need a striker. And when you've got people like João Cancelo stepping up and scoring brilliant goals like that as well, Ruben Diaz also got on the score sheet, then, you know, the, the need for a striker decreases, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, it's a very specific way of playing, uh, but it's clearly working for Manchester City at the moment. And I think Many of you will agree with me in saying that they are now the favourites to win the Premier League. They were my favourites at the start of the season, but now that they've opened up a cushion on Liverpool, who I expect to push them right all the way, but that six-point lead over Chelsea could prove massive, couldn't it? Because you look at Man City from week to week and you just don't see where they're going to drop points. Obviously, they've lost a couple of games this season, drawn a couple of games, but you know Liverpool have drawn five, Chelsea have drawn five, City have just drawn two. City don't draw games. And that is uh, that is really important. They've got two more wins than Liverpool, three more wins than Chelsea. Only four more wins than Arsenal. There you go. Or Chelsea, who everybody was uh, tipping to go on and win the Premier League, or a lot of people were. They've only got one more win in the Premier League than us this season. It's an interesting stat for you there. It's one that you can uh, throw about on Twitter when people are giving you a hard time. Um, in other news, great news today. Um, woke up to the news that Tottenham had been battered again. Tottenham beaten by three goals to nil at home to Wren in the Europa Conference League and therefore eliminated from the competition. Uh, that did make me laugh. Um, yeah, Tottenham, of course, kicked out of the Europa Conference League, having not been able to fulfil their fixture against Wren by default. Wren, the French side, are handed a 3-0 victory. So Tottenham got bad, 3-0 at home, technically 
Anyway, uh, good stuff. Right. Uh, I can see this from Jan Ostergaard, and I love this. I want to touch on it. Um, he says, refs love Kane. It's that old debate again, isn't it? Does the England captain get favourable treatment from the officials? I think he does. I think that all England players, to a degree, normally, unless they play for Arsenal, of course, get some sort of favourable treatment from officials as a consequence of their stature, position, whatever, in the national side. And I think Harry Kane certainly got the benefit of the doubt yesterday, not for the first time, but to to say that that was not a red card is just pure madness. And honestly, I am baffled by the fact that no further action was taken there. Uh, and and it, it begs the question again, doesn't it? Because we talked a little bit about VAR earlier. It seemed like it was getting better. And all of a sudden, we're, we're back to square one. It's a couple of weekends in a row now where we've had some really questionable and poor decisions. Um, you want um, you want the VAR to pull that up. You want the VAR to step in. And at the very, very least, I don't even want the VAR to make the decision. I just want the VAR to send Paul Tierney, the referee, over to the monitor to have a look. And if he decides that even after having looked at it, it's a red card, uh, sorry, it's not a red card, then fine. But you should be made to come out after the game and explain, just like the managers are, are asked and or, or forced um, as part of their contracts, as part of the media contracts, to stand in front of the uh, cameras and give their account of what happened and, and what they saw. The referee should have to give his account of why, having reviewed the pictures, he didn't feel it was a red card. Even if you disagree with the referee, if you hear their reasoning, I think naturally you'll have a little bit more respect for them. That's how I feel anyway. Um, you know, if I disagree with someone, but they can put together a case, then I'm more inclined to respect their opinion than I am if you just say, well, no, you're wrong. You know, let's 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 get into the ins and outs of it. Let's let's get to the crux of what exactly it is um, and why you've come to that decision. So I would have more respect for referees, even if I disagree with the decision, if they stood in front of the cameras and said, this is the reason why I felt I could not send the player off. Anyway, uh, let's go back to um, the chat box. As she says, uh, Harry, what about the Arsenal game? Arsenal-Sunderland game, is it intact? As far as we know, it's going ahead. We've not heard anything to the contrary at the moment. And i got to be honest, this is a, a weird dilemma for fans to be in right now, OK? So I've got a ticket for, for Arsenal-Sunderland. I bought it when... Um, we progressed to the to the round when the fixture was drawn and the and the tickets became available. Now, for those that don't know, Arsenal season ticket holders do not automatically get EFL slash Carabao Cup games included. So you need to buy them when the um when the, the ticket allocation comes along. And as a season ticket holder, you get priority, you're able to purchase your seat for the game before they go on general sale. So you get an opportunity to buy. And I I've been to all of them this season. The EFL ones, I've been buying them, I've been going, I've been enjoying them. I bought the ticket for this game and now I'm in two minds as to whether or not I want to go. No, actually, let me rephrase that. I do want to go. I'm in two minds as to whether I should go. And the reason for that is is the situation in London at the moment with sort of infections is, has gone crazy. Um, I went to the game against West Ham United the other night and while I thoroughly enjoyed it, obviously Arsenal winning, did I take confidence in the protocols that are in place to try and prevent those who may have COVID entering the stadium? No. Um, you know, there was pretty much, you know, there was COVID passes and it was 
basically like bang, you know, I could have shown yours, you could have shown mine. So there's that. But also Christmas is just days away. And listen, I last Christmas, I didn't get to see my family at Christmas. Uh, you know, I had COVID at Christmas, as did my family, uh, as did members of my family. And it was the shittest Christmas I've ever had. And now do I want to go to the Emirates Stadium, knowing that people or, you know, or those sort of marshalling the situation are not doing enough to make anybody feel safe about it? Do I want to go just a few days before Christmas? Now, if this was any other week in the year, I'd pop my mask on, um, you know, and, I, and I'd go and I'd just get on with it. But the the idea of missing Christmas with my family again for a second year running is putting me off. I'm not going to lie. I probably will go in the end and, and probably just make sure I wear my mask because, you know, again, that's another thing. I was watching the Serie A uh, game last night between Milan and Napoli and and it's obviously been um, put into people's heads that or, or, or it's been told to people that they need to wear masks and they do. They wear masks within the stadium. You go to the Emirates, nobody does. So, yeah, I, I'm in. I'm in two minds. I I probably will go. Um, you know, I I think I might go. I think I I will just be extra careful because I hate staying away from football. And with a lockdown seemingly imminent again, we don't know when we're going to get to go again. So yeah, I'm. Um, it's you know the Christmas thing is is playing on my mind. If it was as I say any other week in the year, I go. Um, and and I got you know, and I was unwell and I had to stay home for a week afterwards. I think I could stomach that. I don't think I could stomach missing Christmas again. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see. Uh, a few of you telling me in the comments, don't go. Some of you saying go uh, and just wear a mask. See how I feel tomorrow. If I don't go, I'll bring you guys a live watch along of the game. I know we got a lot of um, positive feedback on the one that we did uh, for the Leeds game and I really, really enjoyed it. So if I don't go, I'll bring you one of those. If I do, uh, then it will just be the uh, the post-match reaction short, followed by the podcast when I get home. But yeah, let's see. Right. Uh, I think we'll take some of your questions. Uh, get your questions in. Let's take uh, three or four of those before we wrap up the show. And in the meantime, while you're doing that, while you're getting those questions in, let me just bring you guys a quick message from our sponsors and good friends over at ProPrep. Now, ProPrep is the ultimate study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths-related modules, and it can half your study time. ProPrep provide bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, which can be accessed from any time at any uh for at any time from any device, sorry, it's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions so you'll be ready. You can even submit questions directly to the pro prep professors and have a video answer sent back to you within 24 hours. Our friends over at ProPrep have created a special offer just for listeners of the Chronicles of Aguna. All you need to do is go over to their website, which is proprep.uk slash info slash football. The link is in the description. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial without inputting any credit card information. Please do check it out. It's ProPrep, the ultimate study tool, and we thank them for their support of the podcast. Remember, supporting ProPrep uh, means you're supporting the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. So if you've got any friends, family, um, 
people you know, acquaintances, whatever you call them, that are studying, that are um, at university, that are working really, really hard, point them in the right direction. This could really, really help them out and make their lives a lot simpler. I know that I hated studying. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Miles says, uh, where's the shoulder patch jumper, bruv? It's in the wash, mate. Uh, and I'm sure as soon as my wife uh, washes it, dries it, and then leaves it on the end of the bed for me to put away in a desperate attempt not to actually put away my clothes, I'll probably put it back on and you'll get to see it, I'm sure, at some point this week. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, Matt Tomo says, any chance Martinelli is our future answer at striker? I think there's a chance, Matt. I think, as I've said before, I think he's got all the ingredients of a really, really good centre forward. But I also think he's becoming more and more effective from the left-hand side. And I know that his personal preference is to play from the left. And I think when you do play from the left, you you get slightly more freedom when you do drift in field because you're running at the centre-halves as opposed to them marking you. So I think there is benefits to playing from the left. I think he is someone who has the attributes, as I say, to play as a centre-forward. But I think his personal preference, as I say, is to play from the left-hand side. And I think Mikel Arteta is probably looking at him as a, as a solution in one of the wider positions as well because of uh, his ability to carry the ball, uh, run with the ball. I think the team's got a better balance now, which allows him to play, as I've said recently, as a left-forward rather than a left-winger, whereby he's asked to track back a lot more. So, he could play there and he could play there in emergencies, but I wouldn't be hanging my hat on him playing there for the foreseeable. I think he basically what I mean is I wouldn't not buy a striker because Martinelli can play there. I think we still need to address that position. And Martinelli is is a bonus option and someone who I still feel is better from the uh, on the left. What else have we got? Uh Dipak Patel says, Harry, please rate these in your order. Saka, Martinelli, Emil Smith-Rowe and Odegaard. Are we talking about natural talent, natural ability or, or their level now? If we're talking about their level now, I'm going to say Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Saka. That's my order. That would be controversial, I know. Uh, Stilton Avenger says uh, Emil Smith-Rowe scored seven, the same as Jack Grealish, James Madison and Emmy Buendia put together. How confident are you that we can now identify talent and buy a forward? Yeah, I think when you look at the transfer business that Arsenal have done, uh, you know, especially last summer, you've got to take confidence from that and you've got to feel as though we're moving in the right direction with regards to our recruitment. It's been a big, big problem for years and it's largely why we found ourselves in the mess that we are or were independent on what way you look at it. Um, but yeah, look, you've got to take encouragement from the fact that we seem to be able to not just bring players through, but also now identify, as you say, players at other clubs that can come in and do good jobs for us. I remember in the summer, and I, I don't want to be that guy that says, I told you so, but I remember in the summer when Arsenal were heavily linked with Buendia and people were having an absolute meltdown about the fact that he joined Aston Villa instead of us. I remember saying, chill out. I remember saying this. I remember saying to you all that Emi Buendia is a talent and, of course, has done wonderful things at Norwich City. But the fear and the worry that I had was that Arsenal would be about to go and spend a significant chunk of their transfer budget on somebody who there is no guarantee will be able to translate that championship form in terms of outputs, goals and assists into Premier League form. And lo and behold, you are seeing it now. I said 
that I would have gone for Martin Odegaard over Emi Buendia. And I think based on what we've seen so far, we're 18 games into the Premier League season. I think that call was very, very justified and very, very fair. And I think most people would agree now that in Odegaard, 30-odd million pounds, we would have had to pay about 40 for Buendia because Norwich, of course, naturally, were going to chuck that premium on top with it being Arsenal. I think we've got a good deal. We've got the right deal. And we've got a player, in my opinion, with a much higher ceiling than Emi Buendia. So I think that was the right, right decision. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Jid F32 says, with how well Hector has been doing with Real Betis, do you think that with the break from Arsenal that he's currently getting, he would be open to come back and fight for his place? I think he's doing well in Spain, as you say. I think he's... Um, Settled really, really well at Real Betis. They're having a good season as well, which helps. Um, but I, I just feel like Hector Bellerin's Arsenal career is over. Um, I've got to be honest. I think that the fact that we allowed him to go out alone was, was, you know, Arsenal would acknowledge that this guy has no future at the football club. He wanted to move on. We wanted to move him on. It was one of those situations where that we just reached the end of the road. So, I personally don't think that Hector Bellerin has an Arsenal future. I know he's only on loan, but I'm pretty sure that some kind of arrangement will be made um, at the end of the season, whether that be Arsenal just cutting their contract, cutting their losses and allowing him to join free or, or receiving a nominal fee. I don't know exactly, but I don't think he's coming back to Arsenal. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, let's carry on. Uh, this is the weekend review show right so we're not just talking arsenal on this episode so i will take this question it's a good question from nikomo says harry totally off topic don't worry sir it's premier league related which is what we're doing today but do you think bielsa has run his players into the ground hence the amount of injuries do you think that's why maybe arteta does not implement a pressing game i think that there's a difference between arteta's pressing game and the, the likes of Liverpool's or Leeds. I think Arsenal's is more structured in the sense of not that it's better, that it's different in the way that we do it at certain points and we don't do it at others. We, it's almost as though we have triggers that that kind of lead to us embarking on a press. So there's trigger points that set it off. Um, and and I think that that's why we we clearly well touch wood. We're not having the problems that, that Leeds are at this moment in time. But, you know, there, there is this argument, isn't there, about Marcelo Bielsa burning people out, running people into the ground. And it's a criticism that's followed him around throughout his career. The fact that he's never managed anybody for more than a couple of years, I think it is, or maybe three, is something that people always point at him and, and use as a criticism as well. But I think there's a, a degree of, of misfortune to what's happening to Leeds United at this moment in time. I think it's so easy to point the finger at Marcelo Bielsa, but you've also got to recognise they wouldn't be where they are without Marcelo Bielsa. And they had an incredible season last year. They were really good in the championship for two seasons prior to that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I rate Marcelo Bielsa. And, you know, I, there was a couple of um, stupid tweets going around on social media yesterday, um, which I um, which I found really weird. Uh, you know, there was someone, I, I think it was someone who's quite prevalent on YouTube. He said something like, uh, are we going to pretend that, are we going to stop pretending that Marcelo Bielsa is a good manager now because he sits on boxes and lives in a flat above a shop? As if that has anything to do with why Marcelo Bielsa is so highly regarded, um, you know, in, uh, in, in the Premier League. It's, 
or, or in world football. No, it's nothing to do with that. That's an element of his character that shows him to be a modest human being that people like and people buy into. But that's not why he's got uh, the reputation he does have in football. It's because his philosophy, it's because of the way he sticks to his principles and so many um you know, uh, managers in world football at the moment, very popular and very uh, accomplished managers have talked about the influence that Marcelo Bielsa has had on their careers. So there we go. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Leon Dyer says, uh, Harry, finish the pod early. You sound bad, bro. Get some rest. I am just about to finish it. Um, not feeling great, as you can probably tell. But it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. As I keep saying to you guys, and I'm sure those of you who've got young kids will know, when you send your kids to nurseries, like they come back every couple of weeks, it seems, with a cold, and I just keep on picking them up. Got a busy week of work this week. Can't afford to be ill. So I will be um, dosing up. I will be drinking uh, lemon teas or whatever you drink when you're in this situation. For my uh, Cypriots out there, I'll be drinking some Zivania as well to burn the germs away hopefully. And uh, we will be back with another episode a little bit later on. I've noticed that the longer I talk, the more progressively worse it gets because I start to get blocked up. So if I have a break now, should be good for another pod a little bit later on today. Right. I'll catch you all very, very soon with more. Thank you for all your questions. Thank you for all your live interaction. I will just ask that before you leave, you hit that like button. We're We've got over 280 of you watching. We've only got 70 likes on the board. So let's try and get that up to 100 by the time the uh, episode finishes, by the time the outro plays. That would be very, very much appreciated. Uh, like, 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 subscribe to the channel. If you're new, you know the drill by now. I'll be back very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.